And as the kids are heading out, you can turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 will be, we're in the larger group of verses 1 through 7, but we'll be focusing on mainly verses 3 and 4. So with that being said, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, as we have just sung that we desire to be men and women of prayer, Dearly Father, may that not be something that just goes off our lips quickly and then we go through our days just doing our own thing and then only when catastrophe hits do we actually go to prayer. May it be something that we go to every day. Early in the morning, may we seek your face all throughout the day. May we be in a constant state of prayer, going before you with all things, knowing that it's from you that we live and we move and we have our being. Dearly Father, renew our minds right now. There are so many things that this world has tried to cram down our throats as a truth, but all it has been is the error, and we have seen and found that it is completely wanting of any substance. And so, dearly Father, as we come to your word, may we drink deeply of the truth of who you are, the way you see things, and may our hearts and our minds be put in alignment back to who you are and the way we should live. We ask these things in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now, there are many quests in the world. There are many things that we go hard after. Uh, there are many quests that people go on that are fleeting for a moment. They're here for a moment and gone. But there is a quest that each and every one of us in some way is impacted by. Now, we're going to be talking about women today. But this could also be said about men. But our topic for today is is women, and I pray that uh, as we go through this, as men, we will also see how to conduct ourselves in response to what God has called women to do. Now, there is a quest, and as I like to say, the quest for beauty is a never-ending chase. The moment you think that you've arrived, and in, in whether your, your body is to the point of where you like it, it's a never-ending chase because sin and the destruction of this world is continually bringing the chase of beauty to a never-ending cycle. We know this in the American culture. Uh, the American culture is obsessed with beauty. Uh, according to the uh, little Google search that I was on, about $50 billion, $50 billion are spent on be beauty products this past year in America. So if you're looking for a little side business, I guess selling beauty products is up there. Which is a sad state for this next one. Uh, and when I looked up the whole plastic surgery, we're not talking about burn victims and things like this. We're talking about surgeries just done to try to chase that never-ending chase of beauty. And there was roughly $16.8 billion were spent on plastic surgery. So by just the sheer nature of it, obviously we care about the way we look in the United States. Obviously, that is, seems to be from the, uh, from the, the stats there that we care. We don't only just say it, but also our pocketbook shows it, Right? where we spend our money. Now, it's interesting because as we had talked in the past, God's word is going to stand in complete contrast to the way the world thinks. But because we live in the world, we're going to be caught up by it. All right, since we live in the world, what is beauty? And even when Peter talks about the beauty of a godly wife, there's going to be some of us, if we're not careful, they'll go, yeah, I've heard that one before, and just pass off on it instead of allowing those truths to sink deep into our hearts. 
because it is easy to do surface tests. It's easy to do things that on the surface that go, well, this is the way I'll be or this, but because we have so been part of this ever-pushing current of the American way of thinking, before you know, you get caught up into it, and you don't even know, is this my thoughts? Are these God's words? And so what we tend to do in the Christian world is just like to mingle them all. And so I like to call it we Christianize or Christianese certain things. So what we're going to be looking at here in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, is Peter's going to be giving some instructions to wives. And so let's start off in verse 1 here. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, is a very precious thing. So we're going to stop at verses 3 and 4 today. Now, to give you a little context of this, remember, Peter is leading us all the way through this, talking about how um, the Christian walk is to be one of submission, just like Jesus submitted to his Father. And he's walking through how masters and slaves interact, how husbands and wives interact. And now he's coming to the wife, and he's speaking to a wife here. And this wife that he's speaking to is a woman that is living with a husband who is unsaved, or as I even said, the same principles apply to a husband who is not obeying what God has called them to do, how is this wife supposed to conduct herself when she's living with an ungodly man? How is she supposed to respond? And the beginning part we talked about last time, Peter is saying if you want lasting influence, if you want influence that will last, a change that will last, he says it is not done by words but by your action. He says your action is going to bring this about. And we talked last week about how uh, we, as the women and the gifts that God has given them have the influence over their husband and how many times it is easy on the easy part to just to continue to continue to use your mouth to try to bring about change. But we talked about the last time. That's not what Peter's calling us to. If you want lasting change, it's through the conduct of your character and the way you conduct yourself that will bring about this lasting change. And then he goes on to even build on that argument. It's not only the way you act more than what you say. He goes and builds on that. He says... Beauty, external beauty, is not how you're to influence your husband as well. To influence this man back to God is not through the external, he's going to say, but it's through the internal beauty that is there. So with that being said, let's hop right into the text here in verse 3. So he starts off in verse 3 using a negative, do not let your adorning be external. So if he's going to start off with talking about point number one, the adorning of a woman, what, how a woman is adorned, he immediately says, don't let it be on the outside. So by just sheer reading of the text, if there's external beauty, what would by nature there be? Internal beauty, all right? The external beauty is momentary, it's fleeting. The, this is all throughout the Bible. It even talks about all mankind is like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but what do we know? The word of the Lord stands forever. So this external beauty is here, but for a moment, and then it is gone. So when we think of the adorning of a woman, there's the external, which is momentary, and then the next, there's the internal, which we're going to see that is imperishable. Now, this is something that I want to make sure that we are clear on, because as we walk through this, most of us have sat here before and heard this, but I can guarantee you by just watching your life, if I were to watch your life, we all struggle with this. Because everybody hears, 
beauty, it's important, the internal beauty. And we all go, yeah, uh uh-huh, but then we don't live in light of that. But before we go any further, though, I want to make sure that this text has been used and abused all throughout church history. This text has been used as a way to say that godly women, if you want to be a godly woman, you must be as plain as possible. All right, that's not what this text is teaching. This text is not teaching that if you want to be a beautiful person, you must look as, uh, nothing against Jane, but as plain Jane as you possibly can in order to be a godly woman. All right, there must be nothing about you at all on the external that draws attention. This is not what this text is saying. Also, I want to be clear, uh, what this text is not saying, it also helps us understand a number, one of them, I would say the top three biblical principles of interpreting Scripture, all right? One of the first ones is keep it in context, all right? The second one is if common sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense, meaning like if it says what it says, it says what it says. And the third one is you need to read the whole verse, all right? Because here's what happens as we look at this verse here. Do not let your adorning be external. Okay, so then he lists the braiding of hair. So before you just quickly unbraid your hair, let's keep reading. The wearing of gold. All right, no one's taken off their gold jewelry yet. All right, or the putting on of clothing. Now, if you're saying you can't have braided hair, you can't wear gold, we're running into a problem. We get to that last one, aren't we? And even if your text says expensive clothing, there's some that, use, that like to use that word expensive clothing. It's saying it's, it's talking about gaudiness. You, you're not supposed to be being gaudy. That does not mean now, ladies, you cannot braid your hair, you cannot wear jewelry, and you must buy the cheapest dress absolutely possible. And so now every Sunday we're going, oh, mine was 50 cents, mine was 30 cents. I must be a better... And that's not what we're, this is not what the text is saying. But yet what happens is because we are lazy interpreters of Scripture, we like to run to these things and then put boundaries on things that Peter is not even talking about. Peter is not starting off by saying, let me explain to you the nose of the Christian walk. Any braiding of hair, any wearing of jewelry of any sort like that is completely wrong. And I would say, no, you have not read the full context of the Word of God. Yet, it can be an easy thing to do when we want to be lazy, I would call it, in interpreting Scripture. So let's go through what it's saying here. It's saying that the wife will not win the husband by outer appearance. The wife will not win the husband, will not be, will not, God will not use this woman to draw the man into obedience or to influence the husband by just, as long as you put on nice-looking attire, this is what will cause the man to be drawn into obedience or salvation. Peter's saying this is not what brings lasting change. As I said before, this is not on an attack on wearing makeup or jewelry. But the wearing of these things are not to be manipulated by the woman to bring about a selfish end. We should care about looking nice for each other in marriage. But why? Because we love one another, not to manipulate or to get their way. So that would mean then, as as I was wrestling through this concept, that would mean that we shouldn't be talking like this. If one of you dresses up in the husband-wife relationship, the other one should not say, so what do you want? You know, like you dressed up because you need to try to get something. No, we do that. We care about how we look because we love one another, not to use it to manipulate one way or the other. So let's talk about this adorning that takes place on women. Now, again, as I said before, this is a battle. 
because society has told us, in, in, in a time and age where we have supposedly liberated women, we have liberated them and made an object out of them as society. And then we wonder why there's confusion in the feminine world. And what Peter is trying to say is, beauty, as, as, as best as I can understand this passage, beauty is skin deep, but there's something that lasts forever. So let's talk about verse 4 here, this imperishable beauty. He goes on to say, don't let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So there's an imperishable beauty. Think about this for a moment, the idea of an imperishable beauty, a beauty that does not fade. Now, I want to pause here for a second. Even I said we're, we're talking to, uh, mainly to women today, but I want to talk to the husbands in the room here real quick. I want to make sure you're clear on this. The person, and this is, goes for both sides. Uh, one of the privileges and the joys I get, and I've shared this with you before, I really enjoy on a wedding day standing down here next to the groom when the bride comes down and he sees his bride and the tears are going down and they see each other and the love that they have there. But if we're truly honest with each other, these are two strangers. They don't know each other. They don't really know each other. Because in a couple of years, they're not going to look anything like they did that day. All right? They're not going to be that same person. They're going to change their, who they are is going to change and everything else. And you'll look back and your kids will look back at your wedding pictures and go, wow, mom and dad, you look totally different than you do now. And it's not usually because you've lost so much weight and everything else, you know. It's, you know, wow, there's definitely more of you now than there was back then, right? But let's pause for a moment, though. Because this can cause great stress, though, on a wife. She remembers the way her husband delighted in her looks as a young bride. Yet many years later and several children later, she knows and he knows this is not the same. So, that being said, I want to talk to the men here and just really focus on you guys for a second. We set the tone for our families. We set the tone for our wives. What we talk about, how we conduct ourselves, what we say sets the tone for everything in our households. What we compliment, what we don't compliment. Now, I don't know about you, but there is a lot of pressure that the world has put on our wives that we need to stand in the gap and we need to deflect away from our wives because she looks to us to set the tone. We live in a world where the womb is hated by many, where children are seen as an inconvenience, where children are seen as a nuisance to multiple things, to the way it impacts the body and everything else, the way men, the way we address and talk about a woman when she is pregnant, the way we address and talk our about our wives and everything else sets the tone. The way we talk to our daughters sets the tone. I came across an article many years ago by a guy named Tim Chalice. And in this article he writes, which I think is an amazing article, it's an article that um, if men, a lot of times we struggle with going like, how do I say what I've been thinking? And then all of a sudden you read something, you're like, he said it really well, like, I'm just going to read what that guy said because there's no way I could communicate this. I try to communicate it, and usually sometimes 
Allison will look at me and go, I have no idea what you're trying to say there. And I'll try to say it again, and it just flops. And, it's, and usually, many times, I offend her more than I'm not. You know, you're trying to say something, you're like, this is just not happening right now. Well, Tim Chalice wrote this article, and he, said, and he wrote it this way. It's a husband's, the title of the article is A Husband's Perspective on a Postpartum Body. So here's what he says. When a husband and wife marry, when the two become one, they begin a story together. The wife's body tells a significant part of their story, of their story. The postpartum body is the hidden, intimate story of their shared life. Its secrets are for them alone. Its skin is the pages. It scars the words of the story that only they know. Yes, the body has been blemished as the story has unfolded, but no, he won't trade it for anything in the world. He knows that she willingly sacrificed her youthful body so that they could enjoy the blessings of children together. He honors her for that sacrifice. He treasures her for that sacrifice. With tenderness, knowing that it tells the story of so much of their journey that they have made together. With gratitude, acknowledging that she has sacrificed her body so they could enjoy the thrill of pregnancy, the joy of children, and the blessing of family. He treasures each mark and each line as if they are his own. For in the sacred oneness of marriage, they are his own. Now, I only just did bits and pieces of it because there was no way I could have gotten through the whole article. Uh, I have a bunch of copies of that article in my, in my office. When you leave, guys, if you want to take a copy of it. Um, as much as I can as your pastor tell you, I really, really, really strongly, as much as I can suggest that you grab a copy of that, sit down with your wife, put your arm around her and read it to her. Because these are words they go like, I wish I could talk like that. Like, I don't talk like that. They're like, I don't know. I just go, Allison, you're fine. You know, like, you know, you know, you, that's, that's about as close as we get to something like that. But yet God has, by God's grace, has given us men like this that can write and say, because here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are tone setters in our families. Do we, do we create a culture where our wives are feeling inadequate, or do we create a culture where we want them to flourish and to realize that their beauty, yes, let's be honest, it's not like we're that great either, all right? But our, be our handsomeness, I guess you would call, our handsomeness and everything is waning, and we understand their beauty is waning, but you know what? We now no longer are strangers. We love one in each other in a deeper way than we would ever have known each other on that day. I mean, those are the things that as men we have to communicate to our spouses. And not only that, we have to live in such a way that we communicate that across the board to everyone of where beauty comes from. But yet it is so easy as men because we know that our eye gate is so powerful. What do we only speak on level of? We speak on the level of the eye gate. Very rarely do we ever get down into the character of a young lady. And then we wonder why we keep producing over and over and over again women that are only pursuing after external beauty instead of the inner beauty of the heart. That could be its own sermon, but we'll get back to the text here. 
the beauty of the heart. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So let's think about this for a moment. What is the beauty of the heart? The text tells us. The text tells us this is the beauty of the heart. It will not fade. And what will not fade, and it tells us, a gentle heart and a quiet spirit. These are the things that the world, if you, as we spent last week talking about the push of feminism on women, these are not two of the guiding principles of, femini- of feminism. A quiet heart or a gentle heart, a quiet spirit. But these are the, what God is saying in His Word. This is literally what He's saying. If you want to be a godly woman, here's why. And I'm going to argue why from the text. A gentle heart is able to be a gentle heart because that heart is trusting in God. Back to the context of this. In uh, 1 Peter 2... He says, he, uh, when he was reviled, this is 2.23, when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, who our example here, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? Continue to entrust him, himself, to him who judges justly. What he was saying is, I am, I do not, I'm not going to take these things. Even though I am being wronged, I'm not going to wrong in return. I'm going to trust God. What gives a woman a gentle heart? It is a heart that is trusted in God. She is not trusting in her words to influence her husband. She is not trusting in her beauty to influence her husband. What is she trusting in? God and God alone. And God said, by through a quiet and gentle heart, these are the ways that I will use to draw these men to myself. And not only that, he goes down into a quiet spirit, a gentle and quiet spirit, a quiet heart, quiet spirit. How is the spirit quiet? It is quiet because it is content with what God has given. A woman can only have a quiet heart, a gentle heart, and a quiet spirit when she, number one, trusts God, has trusted that what God has placed in her life, God has given, and it is from God's hand. And number two, then, she is content. And and what I mean by content is, Again, I'd encourage you, there is a phenomenal Puritan paperback written by Jeremiah Burroughs on the rare jewel of Christian contentment. And this whole idea of contentment is not an ignorant contentment. What I mean by ignorant contentment, meaning the person's content because they have no idea what they're missing out on. Biblical contentment understands, as Paul talks about it, he knows how to have good things happen to him. He knows how to have bad things happen. In all circumstances, he has learned, and literally Paul is even going to argue, as Jeremiah Burroughs argues, that contentment is a skill that is learned. He has learned to be content. Because when you are content, when the ways of this world come at you, when that guy that you have married, and let's be honest, is hard to love, all right? You don't just have the external scars, you're having the mental scars of loving that guy as well. These are the things that as they beat upon us, these are the things that give a unwavering backbone. A backbone of a truly powerful woman is a woman who cannot be easily shaken. Why? Because her trust is not in how well she can come back with a zinger or how well she can put on the makeup. Her trust is in God and God alone. And this is what creates true biblical womanhood. A woman who can stand in the face of what this world has to say and says, I'm not worried about tomorrow. God's got it. And I don't need to manipulate the circumstances around me to bring about what I think are the end. I am content with the hand that God has given me. And that, ladies, I will have to tell you, is a journey that you will be journeying the rest of your life. Because there are so many things in this world to not be content with. There's so many things in this world that you're going to go, if only you had this, if only you had that, this world is going to say. There's a reason why. 
we spend, what is that, $66.8 billion, if you add that all together, on beauty and all of these things, guess what? We're pursuing after it, and everything in this world talks about it. I mean, down to if you have the right shampoo, if you have the right this, if you have the right that, then you'll be beautiful. But I challenge us as men as well as, do we use these things that Peter has put here to say, these are the things that you should pursue after. Do we do that? Do we talk to our wives and our daughters in this way that would encourage these things to happen? Or are we just men that are only servicing men, only talking about the external, as if that's what really matters? Speaking of this woman here, this woman here that Peter is saying and calling them to is a person who understands and, and grasps self-control. To bring about true, lasting change. This is what God had said. You may think, in order to change your husband, you may think it's through the mouth and through the external, but Peter is saying it's the complete opposite. Complete re reversal of that. It is through the way you trust God and through the way you act. That will bring lasting change. A woman who embraces this is a woman who understands the situation and acts with wisdom and clarity. A woman who, if you want to call it this woman, it would almost be like the men of Issachar who understand the times and know what to do. These are women that are not ignorant. These are women who are able to study, to see what's going on around them, and to make God-honoring decisions in light of what God has told them. These are women who respond, and I would argue as godly women, respond with the fruits of the Spirit. This is what they're known for. But yet our world likes to do the complete opposite, don't we? We like to say, if you want to be a powerful woman, and we just fill in the blank with everything that is countercultural to what the fruit of the Spirit calls us. It's just, just do the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what the world is calling our young ladies to. And so what we must do as men, we must do as dads, and I would even argue we must do as moms, is to point our daughters to say what matters most is the internal heart of a young lady, because from the out overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. And it even goes back to the contentment idea. You want to listen and see how you are right now. There's a lot of things in this world that we can grumble about and complain about. But only grumbling and complaining, all that does is expose that we don't trust God and we're not content with the hand that God has given us. So the text continues to go on here, and it says, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in God's sight is very precious. Just in case if you're wondering if Peter is off his rocker, he, and he finishes this by saying, and just to let you know, his, his argument, all this, in God's sight, this is very precious. True beauty is precious to God. And notice what he's saying. Man can't see this. Because who's going to see this? God is going to see this. Because God sees this, man is going to struggle seeing it because this is an internal thing. Man sees on the outside, but God sees the heart. This is another way of saying that, the hidden person. This is precious. This word precious here literally carries with it the same word that was used. Remember when Mary Magdalene comes into Jesus and she breaks that precious ointment and pours it all over his, his feet and then she takes her hair and wipes it, cleans off his feet? That same precious... Very costly thing is the same word here. That if you want to know what is precious in God's sight, someone, back to this, a young lady, a wife, who is, conducts herself in a way of a gentle and quiet spirit. 
Now, I want to be clear real quick. You might say, how does this happen? I mean, it sounds great, Tim, uh, but, you know, all I get right now are pictures of the little house on the prairie and things like this where, you know, everybody's tucked into their rows, and that sounds so like maybe 1950s America or something else like that, but this text is not for today. Um, I would say to you again, we started way back at the beginning, that the Word of God was written, and the Word of God was written by God for all ages of the church. This is not a cultural thing. But what has happened is the culture has moved further and further away from God, so things like this sound so antiquated and out of date. And I would say, isn't this what Peter... I mean, Paul tells us in Romans 12, by the continual renewing of our mind daily, we're going to continue to have to rethink because the culture around us is moving further and further away into debauchery and sin and what God is calling us to do is be countercultural. God is calling us to stand in the gap and to make a difference. And in order to do that, we have to think differently than the way the world does. The world's values have to be different than our values. The world's thinking must be different than our thinking by just a sheer definition of being a Christian. Because literally the Bible says to be friends with God is to be enemies with the world. You cannot. There's no, there's no middle ground here. There's no like, let's ride the fence. All right? It's kind of like one of those things where let's, let's just cut to the, the chase. All right? Either abortion is murder or it's not. All right? Like there's no middle ground on that. I don't, I don't care where you, what you want to do. All right? Follow your sciences, whatever you want to do. You'll find out it's either murder or it's not. Like there's no middle ground there. But yet we stand in the same thing here too as saying what is beauty? Either beauty is a God-given thing that is seen in the in internal heart of a woman, or it's just external, and that's all that matters. So how does this happen? Let's continue to keep reading. I'm going to skip down to the end of verse 6. And you are her children, speaking of Sarah, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You go, well, what is that idea of not fearing anything that is frightening. So another way of saying that, you do good and you are fearless. By doing what is right, you are a woman who is fearless. And you go, okay, so let's walk through this for a second. Remember to continue to keep reading, going over to verse 15 and 16 in that same passage. Uh, let's go to verse 14. But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Again, see the text talking about fearlessness here? But, so you can be fearless, why? Because you put in your heart regarding Christ as holy, and then always be prepared to make a defense of anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That sounds a whole lot like what we've been talking about right here, but do it with gentleness and respect. I lost my having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that is God's will than for doing evil. Another way of putting it this way, think about this for a moment. This, this, un, this unsaved man that this godly woman is living with and she's continually conducting herself in a way that is pointing this man to Christ. She has been embracing the inner beauty that God has called her to, and she's waiting patiently and trusting God to bring about the lasting change on her husband. And guess what's going to happen, these texts saying? She needs to be ready. So when the husband says, what's going on here? 
When he asks for the hope to then, what is she ready to do? To give a defense when she is asked for, why are you doing this? I've treated you like, not very kindly, but yet you are not responding in kind. Those are the great rebukes that God uses on the husband to draw these men to himself. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, ladies, this is where we stand. Do I truly trust God? Do I trust him? Do I truly trust him when I look around and things do not seem the way that I think they should be? Do I truly trust that God is in control, working his plans and all of these things, or am I going to try to take things in my own hands? Because literally, you could summarize this text with saying, there's a way, ladies, that you can try to get things done, but that's not lasting change. You can do it this way, or you can do it God's way that brings about that lasting change that you desire. So are you going to entrust God? Are you going to pray that God brings it about? And I would even argue not only your husband, but also the circumstances around you. If you entrust them to God, you conduct yourselves with fear. You conduct yourself in a gentle and quiet way. This is what God is saying is going to bring about lasting change. Why? It's precious to God. Now, remember this. It's precious to God even if others don't think it's precious. God is saying it is precious to him. And these are the things that God is saying, and we'll see this next week. Peter goes on to say, this is how the holy women used to act of old. And Peter is going to continue developing his argument as time goes on. But when we say, what did we learn today? Here's what I would encourage us to remember. that External beauty is fading, yet inward beauty is imperishable. And this beauty only happens. I want to make sure we're clear on this. This inward beauty only happens through the continual renewing of our mind by the word of God. Ladies, if you listen to the continual diatribe of the world on you all the time, you will think that all that matters is external and how well you can use your voice and your power to bring about change. When God's word says, no, that's the complete opposite. The complete opposite is renew your mind in the things of God. Trust him. When you're trusting him, you don't need to avenge. You trust him. You don't need to manipulate. Why? Because you're content with what God has given you. And when we do that, that will bring about ultimate change. Now, the song we're going to sing here in closing is an interesting song because it asks the question, is everything you have on the altar, everything you have, is it, is it on the altar that God has called? And the question is literally, and since we were speaking to ladies and to guys here, are we saying, Lord, here it's all, or I'm going to hold some of these things back? Am I really going to take these things? Because, again, if you haven't realized, by God's grace, you should learn that these things of this world are passing away, and they're passing away quickly. You are but for a moment, but he is eternal. And so the question in front of us is a great question to ponder in light of this passage here. Have you really given all to God and followed him? Because remember, as the Bible said, you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other. And I, as I would put it there, if you have not given all, you have not given all. And not giving all is might as well not give any, because it's all or nothing. And so this is what God has called, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to him. So let's pray. Dear Holy Father, give us wisdom, give us understanding. We desperately need it. May we truly grasp what the song we're about ready to sing, this call to give it all, to place it all on the altar, understanding that we trust you with these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.